0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Cultural Studies Podcast. I'm here with my friend, Professor Terence Lee. Terence, how are you? I'm good, Toby. How are you? Yeah, doing well, doing well. And we're here in Murdoch in Western Australia, where I bumped into you about three or four months ago. You were in a state of shock, and you told me the other day that it had taken some
1: weeks for you to get over this state of shock. Yes, absolutely. Can you tell
0: us what that was all about?
1: Look, it it wasn't even three or four months ago. It was just... um... Early no, September. No, sorry,
0: that's right. Yes. So a
1: little more than a month ago. Yeah. Um, this was the um, general election in Singapore, mm. um, and I was there in Singapore for about a little more than a week to cover the election campaign. It's always a short campaign, nine days. Really? Absolutely. But you know, I'm, my argument has always been that most people know it's on the on the cards. It's about to happen. So you would say that, you know, you would have at least another month prior to that to prepare for the elections.
0: But there's nothing constitutional that tells no. you when it will be. No, absolutely. And is there a trigger mechanism to call it?
1: Well, the Prime Minister has the call. It's, a, you know, it's a Westminster system. Yeah. Um, not unlike here in Australia. Yeah. And, well, the expectations were that, in fact, from early this year, the expectations that it will happen this year, 2015. Yeah. Right. And the original reason for that is um, Singapore celebrated, or celebrates still, its 50th year of independence this yep. year. Right. So it's a big party from the 1st of January up to now. And um, so obviously there are a few good sentiments. Yeah, it's a happy time. It's a happy time. People think about how wonderful the country has been. And it's true. I mean, yes. Singapore has made tremendous development over a very short period of time. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they're celebrating all that this year and, you know, Naturally, as um, as a political observer, and yeah. I'm not the only one, um, you would you would hedge your bets that it would be called sometime this year. Yeah, and it it happened. It's kind of further enhanced by the fact that the mythical founding prime minister of Singapore, Lee Kuan Yew, mm. passed away in um, March this year. Right, and there was a whole period of national mourning that continues to reverberate in right. Singapore through, through, to this day. You
0: wouldn't want to have it too soon after his no, you passing wouldn't. away.
1: Well, I, I thought about that. I thought that if they had run the election within a couple of months after his passing, they would have won hands down yeah. easily. Right. But that would be very cynical. Um, it crossed my mind that... You know, a possible they might try
0: that. This, they being the People's Action Party, absolutely. They, they, which
1: was founded by Lee. By Lee himself, absolutely. Yes. And um, so they've been ruling Singapore uninterrupted since... Yeah. Um, so look, it was it was it was a great election. Um, really enjoyed it. I, I would I would have to say that not many places in the world would have election campaigns the way Singapore does. Mm-hmm. Not only is it kind of condensed mm-hmm. over a short period of time, people actually come out of their mm-hmm. houses, you know, mm-hmm. their apartments mainly, um, to attend political rallies yeah. to. Um, to talk about stuff that they wouldn't otherwise the rest of the year. Mm, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: So while there has been an argument by many people that Singapore is a very depoliticized society, um, during the campaign itself you realise that they are incredibly politicised.
0: Hmm. And know, very participatory.
1: In, in, the, in many ways. So
0: yeah. why is it that when I saw you, you were almost speechless? Which is not his normal condition, folks, I should add. Look,
1: I, I don't want to sh- show my political um, inclinations in this interview, but... Sure. During when I was in Singapore, I spoke to a couple of the online alternative media mm. sites, and I spoke to you know colleagues who are in that space. I'm, mm. I'm, I'm actually working on a book, hopefully before Christmas, mm-hmm. uh, that talks about the election. It's an edited volume with a number of um, Singaporean and non Singapore based um, academic scholars who observe politics in Singapore. And I did the same thing um, at the last election, a bit, nearly five years ago. But I was talking to them. I, I spoke to some, you know, friends, relatives about their thoughts on the political process, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and everything pointed to um, an outcome that would see the ruling party vote share decline mm-hmm. slightly, not a lot, right? Um, and many people felt that. The Workers' Party, which has become now the other opposition party to watch, of substance at least, um, to increase its its vote share and possibly number of seats in Parliament. What instead happened (laughs) was a 10% swing in vote share towards the People's Action Party, the PAP,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and a near defeat for the Workers' Party, near defeat and which would have seen, you know, a, a, a sheer dominance again, 100% PAP. Um, Near
0: decimation of their uh, parliamentary well, absolutely, laws. you would
1: say that, yeah. Um, as it turned out, you know, they, they won the main, one of the big seats. Um, it's, it's kind of, in Singapore it's perverse, right? There is something called a group representation constituency where mm-hmm. you elect five members of parliament at the same time. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, so it's a version of
0: proportional representation well, in a certain sense, or no?
1: I wouldn't quite put it that way. It's proportional yeah. in terms of a racial balance. Yeah. That's the only thing that's yeah. that, that, that process is designed to do. Now, there are oppositions to that. You know, it's, yeah. not, it's not a fair call. It doesn't actually reflect um, desires of the, um, the citizens. But nevertheless, um, so that's what really happened. And you know, everyone walked away in a state of shock. That evening, when he, you know the votes were starting mm-hmm. to un- unfold on television on live television, um, and even the the ministers the prime minister himself expressed surprise and a few weeks
0: later, do we have any sense of what this was about
1: look there, there are a number of there are a number of factors that have been um, discussed and talked about. One of the thing was um, on the day bef- the day before the election, the prime minister decided to um, to talk about the possibility of them losing government altogether because every seat for the first time in Singapore's history was contested for this election. Um, so I think that, that however ludicrous that sounds, uh, to me that's ludicrous, it's not rational. But I think a number of Singaporeans started to feel that you know, there is that possibility, they don't really want the PAP to lose power. Mm. They still want them as government. They just want to have more opposition voices. Mm-hmm. So I suspect that that's one reason why you know people have gone on the safe side and said, "Look, we better do what we want the outcome to be, rather than you know whether it's a casting of protest votes or whatever." Um, so that's one possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, the other bit I'm starting to discuss in in the chapter I'm writing is that Lee Kuan Yew effect that I talked about, mm. um, although it wasn't quite talked about as much. Uh, possibly out of respect, you know, you don't talk about someone who's already dead and gone. Mm. Um, you know, It's a name for it, apparently, necropolitics, right? Um, it's, it's a funny word.
0: Ashul and <laughs> right? Is that right? Guess, yeah, okay.
1: Yeah. And, um, yeah, so, look, I think that has a very big part to play, mm. even though it wasn't quite discussed. Mm. So I'm trying to unpack that, the extent to which Li Kuan Yu factored into their imagination at the point of casting their votes, mm. You know, um, Mm. there is that Asian respect for the elderly, it's a bit of confusion politics at play um, that continues to this day in Singapore. So, you know, I think there's a bit of that respect for the old man type of votes that were being cast.
0: And in ethnic terms, is there anything significant about, let's say, Malaysian-Singaporean versus Chinese-Singaporean tendencies of political
1: support? Um... There would be. The extent to which I'm not sure, it's not something I've explored. Um, but you would have to say that in Singapore that would have been much less of a significance than it would be in Malaysia, mm-hmm. right. where, where racial politics still reign supreme. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, in Singapore it does, because you know, to the extent that the Prime Minister himself, Lee Hsien Loong, who is the son of Lee Kuan Yew, um, has openly articulated that Singapore is not ready for a non-Chinese Prime Minister, for example. Nice. <laughs> nice. And despite the fact that <laughs> that the, one of the current deputy prime ministers is clearly the strongest candidate to replace him. A man called Taman. And um Who is he's, who's Indian. He's Who, Indian. Who's Indian? Who's Indian. And he's clearly head and shoulders above everyone else mm. as a possible successor. But it's not something mm. they would countenance.
0: Right. Got it. Yeah.
1: But look, this is Singapore. Nothing should surprise you anymore, or at least for me. Yeah. Um, but look, that's, that's, that was the outcome, you know. Um, yeah. And I think as a researcher, it's one of those things where every evidence that you've collected points against the outcome, and that throws you off. It, yeah. it does, and it doesn't yeah. happen very often, I don't think.
0: Because you were doing ethnographic research. I was doing
1: ethnographic research, yeah, absolutely,
0: that's right. And you deduced from that that there was a significant number of swing voters... Shifting allegiance or more activism instead of people deciding not to
1: vote? Well, the act- activism not translating to outcomes. It's it's a bizarre one, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Well, I wonder about how significant activism is sometimes, uh, by contrast with what some Conservatives like to think of as a silent majority.
1: Yes, but that's right. Yeah.
0: What about the people who are not taking to the streets, who are going out in Singapore to have their nightly meal yes. at the... Cafe, restaurant where they always go. But other than that, they're going back home to television and family. And doing their regular
1: things. Doing their
0: regular things, going to work the next day. It's probably not a major issue. They've had, what, 50 years of economic growth, more or less? Virtually uninterrupted. Really uninterrupted. Those economic winds, when they blow the right way, can be very stabilizing. Now, that's not exactly true in the case of places like Italy and the immediate post-war period, but it's true in many, many countries. Yes, that's right. uh, That economics may not determine everything, but when it comes to most democratic elections, it's pretty important. I mean, there are some where cheating and corruption go against that. Think of the 2000 presidential election in the United States, (laughs) where clearly the people's will was in favour of the economy's doing fine, let's just keep going. Yeah, yeah. But by and large, that tends to be Look, what happens.
1: Def- definitely the case in the context of Singapore. Mm. But you know, I think what has become of interest politically is um, the last election before this one, two thousand and eleven, where you know where everything changed. Mm-hmm. Everything changed in terms of political awareness. Um, it was politics one on one for the first time. That's one of the things I argued back then mm-hmm. for for Singaporeans, where they finally realised that you know a lot of what happens on a day to day basis from a policy perspective. Happens because of politics. Yeah, it's the party that you put in, the ideology that the party uh, permeates. Yeah, um, that makes a lot of changes. So you know, it's it's so political awareness, political conscious raising exercise took place at the election, which is one of the reasons why this became this year became an election to watch.
0: Yeah. Well, the other thing is, of course, sometimes you get new social movements emerging. That makes some difference. Uh, and oh, yeah. when there's a lot of affluence, affluence and new social movements, and sometimes some kind of political crisis, oh, yes. can lead to change. Sure, yeah. uh, think about this country in 1972. Affluence, new social movements around gender and sexuality and race, mm. conflict over participation in the American War in Vietnam. Yeah, Ongoing yeah, affluence yeah. doesn't save the existing party, no, that's, that's right? When you get new kinds of middle-class formations that are liberals, right. yes, then right. this can be very difficult for authoritarian democratic governments. And uh, you could see something similar with the Labour Party in Britain in the 1990s, mm, yes. I guess. I mean, in the case of Singapore, perhaps Confucianism is an element of this?
1: Well, look, it's, it's not talked about anymore as mm. much as it used to be in the, in the 90s. Uh-huh. Um, but. You know, I have no doubt it is part of that, mm. that thinking process. It's been ingrained mm. um, over generations. So that's, you know, that... I mean, look, it's, it has to be part of the thinking because back in March, when Lee Kuan Yew passed away, mm. this, is, this is a shock I mean, No one's actually studied this. I, I intended to, I just had no time to do a mm. lot of things. Social media went quiet. Anyone with the slightest comment against his legacy were shut down virtually
0: instantly. Shut down? It's not that people didn't wish to do this?
1: No, no, there were a few people who did this. In fact, there was a young boy who was taken to task for doing that, a teenage boy. He was charged in court for a range of outrageous comments that he made. But even, you know, the, the action, the, the legal proceedings against him were equally outrageous. But, you know, that's a diff- different story, but you couldn't say anything nasty mm. in the week and the, the couple of weeks following his passing. Sure. Out. And this is unusual. Because where you get the biggest dissent these days would be online. Right. Would be in social media. So I watched it from a distance and I thought, wow, this is unprecedented. So, you know, you could say that, you know, it's out of respect. I mean, in, in Western societies, there is a respect for someone who's passed on, right? Mm-hmm. You tend not to say too nasty things. Anyway, right. but this is this is quite a different scale altogether. Yeah. And you know, the only explanation I've got is there is elements of confusion, behavior, confusion, ethics, Mm. at play here.
0: Now you've worked in, as well as studying, the Singaporean media and policy-related areas for a very long time. Could we talk about the bourgeois media, the more conventional media now now for a moment, both in terms of your history with it and in terms of what you see as its role?
1: Well, it's interesting you said that, Toby, because um, I was trained at Murdoch, in my undergrad years. Mm-hmm. Um, after graduating I returned to Singapore in 1996 and immediately got a job with the Broadcasting Authority and it was very new at that time. The state media had just um, corporatized, and they set up a regulatory arm to manage them. Right? So this was the Singapore Broadcasting Authority which was subsequently rebranded as the Media Development Authority which is to this day. And I was, I was incredibly lucky because I was at a period of time where the transition from analog to digital was at play globally. So my main task was to study the shifts around the world. Um, so I spent some time in, in Europe with a study. I was there at the uh, Sky Digital's launch, terrestrial t- digital broadcasting. Visited the, uh, the fortress that is Rupert Murdoch's um, enterprise where he fought the unions. Um, whopping That's right, in, in London. Beautiful. Wonderful history, right? Being there on the ground. But look, that's that's not the purpose of saying that anyway, but um... Now, in order to understand what the digital broadcasting era would bring, you need Mm. to understand the analog. Mm. You need to understand the levers of control that we have, particularly in the the context of Singapore. Mm. Mm. Um, So, I I learned a lot in that very short, you know, two and a half years that I was there. Um, And this, and I think this provided the fodder for my academic work thereafter. So I always put it down and say, I've been doing research before I actually ended up doing a PhD. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of, because I was doing policy work, at the end of the day, I was writing policies, policy recommendations, for the minister to then, the government to decide which way to go. Great time in my life.
0: At one stage, I remember, it may have been after this, Singapore had a notion of being a digital entrepreneur. That's right. whereby it would do encoding and decoding of digital watermarks on movies and so on. Uh,
1: that's right. There was a period where that was one of these... The gen- yeah. But it's not unlike its his- history as a teleport yeah. for um, images, signals to pass through Singapore... Absolutely. ...to another, distribute to another part of the world, right? Yep. So it's its whole media hub. Ambitions was premised on that. Well,
0: in the British Empire, it was a crucial component It was crucial. Of it was Crown Colony, absolutely. Hub. Yes. Yeah. Even yeah, at that
1: really, really time. That's well, why. you see, I think it's referenced see, in a couple airbrush. of
0: James Bond movies.
1: <laughs> but that's airbrushed from its official history, you see.
0: There can be nothing good from the Empire.
1: No, nothing good. It was a fishing village, swampy village. The PAP made it good. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Any suggestions of that? Your, your brand that the Ambition is... Historian. Fantastic. So, would I then be forced
0: to chew gum and be whipped with some (laughs) rattan or something as a consequence of this leftist, sorry, rightist deviationism? It would be rightist deviationism.
1: Look, the the possibility is always there, Toby. (laughs) I love
0: it. I'm I'm prepared to bend over and cop one for the PAP. I really am. In the interest of trying to provide a revisionist line that recuperates the entire wickedness of British imperialism. Right, okay. I I I can promise
1: that I'll be there to rescue you, Toby, but.
0: You're not there to rescue me? I'm not signed. Up. <laughs> I want to know I've got an exit strategy. But in any event, there, there was this notion was of there in the maybe early 21st century, maybe after your that's time right. there. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and that is connected to this it's long, connected. long history. It, it, yeah. it is. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. So, look, I mean, I mean the, the long and short of this is that if there's any one thing that Singapore government, the authorities mm. have not come round to, is how do we deal with the media? Mm. It doesn't matter whether it's in. In, in the old, analog, traditional media sense, or digital media. They have not come around to how we deal with this. We want them to sing our know, tunes mm-hmm. from the same hymn sheet, but, um, but we're not, we're not going to get compliance 100% of the time, and they know that, but they have no idea how we're going to control that. I mean, it's, it, I, I just gave a lecture on Singapore to another class, a couple of weeks ago, on Singapore as a media hub, right? And one of the contradictions I always talk about is, when you go to Singapore, anyone who does that, there is nothing that you want to do that you can't. There's nothing that you want to read that you can't. So from that perspective, it's as open as any society. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if you did believe that, okay, you have a government who's absolutely paranoid about that free flow of information mm. and idea. And this is where the contradiction is.
0: All governments are paranoid about oh. that. <laughs> Aren't they? Look at the That's way true. in which yeah. in the CBC in Canada, the BBC in Britain, yes. are constantly attacked by left and right, whichever one's in power, for perceived bias the other way yeah. and failure to be loyal and all that. Right. PBS in, in the United Australia, yeah. States. The ABC. Get here, yeah. uh, I mean, I do think that this is a function of government's being desperate to have positive media coverage. Oh, yes. Isn't it? Everywhere. Oh, right. And when there is a public broadcaster, the pressure is especially strong.
1: Well, no? the irony is that Singapore is such a small place. Yeah. The government has a hand in everything. And yet they're paranoid.
0: Yeah, they should be less worried. What about the fact that nowadays, of course, it's easier for people to receive information? I'm not thinking here of the internet, which I don't think is the great technological breakthrough it's claimed to be. I think satellite is the really important technological breakthrough of the last half century. Right, yeah. In terms of yeah. alternative information coming... Right, ..and yeah. entertainment yeah, 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 from yeah. the media coming to ordinary people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems to me it is just spectacular in its impact. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: You know? well, Especially the last 25 years.
1: Yeah, well, Singapore missed that. Singapore missed that development because, you know, there were no satellite dishes Right,
0: but they had it in Sat- in Malaysia. But they it had it in Malaysia? I mean, in Singapore, they could control it more. That's right, yeah. Right. So the, at
1: the end, it became a cable system because of the way Singapore is yeah. as, as an urban entity. It's physically organised. That's right, yeah. yeah. Um, so and so
0: there was more control.
1: There's always been control, and still is to this day. Yeah. Um, but, but at the same time, you have to say the Singaporeans are amongst the most open, you know, in terms of exposure. In terms of access to anything that comes from anywhere else, right? Mm, mm. Um, it, look, it's, it has become in the time that I've—it's probably my fault because I, <laughs> after it all happened, after I left Singapore, <laughs> right? Uh, it's become a far more cosmopolitan society than it has ever been in all my years there. And so it's—I mean, look, this—this this is where you know the government hand. I wouldn't say it's very visible; it's not even mm, invisible. Mm, hand has been uh, mm. Um, from the very beginning, and that's, that's one of the reasons why, you know, the tools of cultural policy as we understand mm. it to be, mm. uh, from a Foucauldian perspective, becomes very useful to understanding what has gone on. And, I'm, and I've actually been the only one, the first one, to apply Foucauldian governmentality on that. Can you tell government? us a bit
0: about that? What you see as the utility of that approach?
1: Well, look, it's, I mean, if we understand the work of Foucauld, his political works in particular, you know, the, his conduct of conduct which has been used to explain the governmentality concept. Mm. Where government is an art form rather than a scientific exercise mm-hmm. which is really contradictory because if you've grown up in Singapore, everything's about numbers right but then i've always particularly after working in policy mm. I've always felt that numbers can be used for any intents and purposes. you can use not the same set of numbers to explain multiple positions mm. right so after understanding that, I thought, "Hang on, this is really bizarre." You know, we can talk about the statistics and what they tell mm. us, but what they do not tell us is that you know they can be used for a whole range of purposes, and that is an art form, not a scientific exercise. Mm-hmm. And this is where I thought, "Hang on," you know, Foucault's notion of of discourse comes in really handy here, and 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 cultural policy as 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 a policy to control. The thoughts and behavior or possible behaviors of people become mm. that very useful to analyze a society mm. like Singapore. Why do Singaporeans, by and large, they, they whine a lot, then it's known as a you know big complaining society, they <laughs> complain all the time. When it comes to the crunch, as we have witnessed at this election, we're quite happy for this authoritarian government, mm. unapologetically authoritarian government, to continue to rule us. It makes no sense. Mm. So, you know, and I think Foucault provides that tool to then look at that. I mean what, what I had to struggle with is that when Foucault wrote about France in particular and broader Europe, they were all very liberal societies. Mm-hmm. Singapore's not. But and that's from a political point of view, but in every respect it's as liberal as anywhere else.
0: Mm. Mm.
1: So that's, that's socially liberal. Socially liberal, yeah. So I've been able to think along those lines and say, look, we we'll bypass the, the base political line. And thinking about society more generically, it fits beautifully into
0: right. that picture. So this is about, in part, endowing the population with qualities, capacities, yes. beliefs, and so on. That's what you see as the fundamental Absolutely. key to Foucault's
1: insight. To Foucault's insight. And, and one of the things that the governments, diff- various governments, di- different prime ministers have said, Singaporeans have the capacity to move anywhere they want to. They're skilled, they're educated, they speak mm-hmm. English, predominantly. It's English.
0: They have their own well, English.
1: That, that, that too, yeah. But they can code switch like I can. <laughs> <coughs> and, um, and they're not moving. Yeah. So where's the problem? Where's the problem, exactly. And Aren't you all satisfied?
0: Why shouldn't you be satisfied? You're even allowed to whinge and moan. You can, as long as
1: you don't enter the political arena and upset
0: yeah. what
1: we do. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's tremendous and I think you know the whole notion of of course notion idea of discipline mm. fits very nicely into that printing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, interesting, interesting. And you your first book, I wonder if you could just talk about some of your publications yeah. now because folks may be interested in reading them. Tell us about your first book. It's a very notable one.
1: Which one Sam? Uh, This is about Singapore. Singapore, yeah. Well, look, that's the one one that captures my thoughts about where Foucault fits into the context of Singapore. It's called um, "The Media, Cultural Control, and Government in Singapore." It's published by Routledge, while ago now, two thousand and ten, is when it first came out. Um, Look, it's 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 become a very interesting addition to the to study on Singapore because, like I mentioned a short time ago, you know, it hasn't been applied you know, the the whole for coding governmentality yeah. discourse has never been applied into contexts like Singapore and I think that's one of the reasons why it's refreshingly new and innovative um, look the, if you read the um, acknowledgement in the in the book it's you know I've actually said something along the lines of this book has captured about 15 years of my 15 mm. to 20 years of my thoughts mm. yeah. being a born and bred Singaporean coming out and rethinking why I am the way I am. Why do I behave in a certain way? Why do I speak a certain way? Yeah, uh, you know, being Asian, you, you you've gone around to English-speaking countries, and people make the remarks of, "Why you speak pretty good English?" And I I loved, my retort in particularly in England where I said, "You say oh, so too." Yeah, you too. <laughs> <do. laughs> so do you? Yeah. um,
0: Because they don't even... They have no clue about their own imperial history. Absolutely. Zero. Other than that they were benign, liberal, and made everything better than it was before. Oh, yeah.
1: I mean, the the myth of the empire.
0: It's incredible. I mean, one of the things I find awful about living there is the (laughs) incredible arrogance and amnesia blended together in this alchemy of madness. (laughs) That's a good description of... Really? It's incredible. Well, David Cameron going to Jamaica the other day... Uh a place where some distant relatives of his benefited from the slave trade, and telling the ministers he met that Jamaicans should get over slavery. (laughs) It's time we all moved on. It's just breathtaking.
1: It is audacious, isn't it? Anyway,
0: whatever, sorry. uh,
1: You do speak very good English. uh, Oh, thank you, thank you, Tom. (laughs) It's a pleasure. Unfortunately, that's the only language I've known really well since I was born. (laughs) Well, I I do speak a bit of Mandarin. Um... It's, look, that's the book that captures the essence of culture, you know, the management of culture, yeah. right? right? And how that's been utilised to, to, well, both explicitly and implicitly steer Singaporeans to think and behave a certain way. Yeah. So one of the biggest criticisms, and I haven't talked about it in that book, that could be a follow-up, is the notion of groupthink mm. um, in a society like Singapore where, where at different stages of your lives there are ways in which people would behave a certain way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a good laugh at this with my friends who, you know, we, after I... For, for example, I've got a good example. Um, again, it's some confusion hand, handover, if you like, Yeah. Um, where Singaporeans go through school, they go to primary school, secondary school, most of them aspire to university, right? Only about 30% these days, about 40% eventually get a university degree. Um, but for that group of people, the, the rest of their lives are pretty stock standard. They get a good job, and they generally get fairly good jobs in Singapore. Mm. Find a partner, settle down, get married, um, You know, get an apartment, fairly standard again. The processes are very, very standard. Okay, After settling down, earning some income, some savings, they have a, a child, maybe two, if they're lucky these days, they have more people choosing not to have kids, right? Um, when that happens, a lot of things become standard. They buy a car at the point because it's really expensive to buy a car in Singapore. They invoke their parents to look after their child because they both have to go to work. Um, they hire a maid.
0: Who comes from where?
1: Who comes from either Myanmar, Indonesia or the Philippines.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. And who has left
1: her children at home. That's right. That's correct right to look after your child so that you can get on with the rest of your you know, building up your middle-class lifestyle um, the kids go to school, they stress over the kids uh, they send the kids to hot housing okay I should use more polite terms here um, tuition centers so that they can participate in the rat race, the educational rat race <laughs> which starts at primary one or two at a very young age. Constant competition. Constant competition. Um, and it's, you know, you can be blindfolded, and you still do all that. Yeah. There are very few people who step aside out of that. This right? is the Amy Chua model. Well, there's the tiger mom. Yeah, motion. the tiger
0: mom bullshit that she goes on with that's horrifying, but it's quite real, isn't it? Well, it's, it, it is real,
1: and um, it's despite opposition to that sort of model, yeah. many Singaporeans find themselves doing it without realizing yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. So because that's
0: the way you lead your life.
1: That's the way you lead your life, yeah. and it takes a lot of courage to step out of that. Mm, mm. There are people who do that, not a lot, mm. right? So it's to to me that's part of the broader framing of that groupthink society. Again, mm. Foucault would have something to say about that, but mm. you know that's a book that's not written yet, so I don't want to say so much. Mm. Uh, but it's a, it's about normalization, normalization. in a very powerful ways. Right. So it's I, I think that's so what you're describing. That's what, to what me. I'm describing, and in a way, my original book does provide that sort of mm. base for Singaporeans to think about what has culture done to us rather than what have we done to culture. And uh, the media
0: were a focus in this study. There is,
1: there is a lot about the media because mm. the media is the primary tool um, for information agenda setting, isn't it? Mm. And it, it continues to this. Mm.
0: And what sort of response have you had in the last five years from Singapore itself as opposed to the wider discipline of media, communication, cultural and Asian studies?
1: From Singapore itself, well, in relation to the book.
0: Yeah, yeah and it, your work more generally. Because well, you've got an insider-outsider yeah. perspective. You're from there, you grew up with it, yeah. but you've lived most of your adult life away. Away,
1: that's, that's correct. Interesting one. I, I think I could describe this as a, an endorsement, vindication of sorts. When I was invited to speak at the Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy, uh, that was a few years ago now, on the subject of the book, which I delightfully accepted, of course.
0: Mm,
1: mm. Um, I wasn't quite thinking of you know, being accosted somehow or other mm. on my way there or on my way out. But, um, <laughs> but it's, look, I enjoyed that very much. I mean, it's mm. a bunch of um, students from the region who are there to, you know, um mm. Bing Huat used to joke that this was the um, school of authoritarian politics <laughs> that he long predicted. Um, but look, it's, it's nothing like that. It's, it's a public policy set up where regional leaders, prospective leaders, come in to do a master's degree in um, public policy. And in that space, they're exposed to a whole range of thoughts, right? So I was very fortunate to have been invited to do that, and I I thoroughly enjoyed that. And I think it was well received in in a nutshell. Mm, Um, mm. I think I opened up new thoughts on Singapore. Mm. Um, A number of colleagues based in the National University of Singapore and NTU have actually commented to me privately that, you know, um, that they really enjoyed reading the book and thinking about Singapore from a different perspective.
0: So this is National University of Singapore and Nanyang, Nanyang. Technological, Technological University, University, University. Right. NTU. Yes, NTU. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I've got a lot of good mates in there. Yeah. Still, you know, I need them to be there.
0: Informants.
1: <laughs>
0: Keep you still in touch. Yeah, that's right. What about media people? People maybe associated with your regulatory past or people who are media producers.
1: Yeah, yeah. look, I, my context are still there primarily in the policy circle um, the media is a very transient employer mm. so I have to say and admit that you know I don't actually have a lot of um, friends who are still journalists yeah. today um, or who are producers in the main broadcaster um, but on the regulat- in the regulatory space I do have a number of mm. ex-colleagues um, yeah. some of them are you know, directors of outfits today Still floating about. Still floating about, yeah. And um,
0: what about, we've got five or six minutes left, Terence, I wondered if you could also talk about some of the other places people can find your work. You've edited some work, you've also written lots of book chapters and articles and so on, but could you just run through some other key titles that folks might be able to locate?
1: Look, I'm I'm involved in the following journals. um, Continuum, I have been for a long time, the Journal of Media and Cultural Studies. I'm one of the editors of the Asian Studies Review, yep. which is one of the highest-ranking Asian Studies journal, um, from Australia, primarily. Um, I have recently started a new journal with ANSCA, which is the Australian and New Zealand Communication Association. I was the president a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, this is um, a journal called Communication Research and Practice, edited by Terry Flew from mm-hmm. QUT,
0: mm-hmm. Queensland University of Technology. That's right.
1: Yeah. And so I am. Um, quite actively involved in that yes. that new journal. Um, at the same time I'm also doing work on the media education space with a Sage publication called The Asia Pacific Media Educator. Mm-hmm. So I've written a couple of pieces for that journal as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of my work, for better or worse, centers around broadly Singapore culture, media, um, the internet space. Internet regulation. In fact, one of the first pieces of work I did when I came out of the Broadcasting Authority was a piece on internet regulation in Singapore. Now, I've described that as you know my kind of letting off steam after spending a, a few years with the Authority and not being able to make any public commentary mm. um, as as a public servant in that sense. Um, so that piece has become one of the landmark works on internet regulation and mm. policy. Um, I originally co-published with David Birch, who is mm-hmm. now retired from academia. and um, yeah, and But who
0: was here at Murdoch, amongst other places, and had worked in Singapore.
1: That's right. That's correct. And
0: wrote or edited a book on Singapore media, yes. I think. In fact, he was the very
1: first one to have written anything on Singapore media yeah. publicly. Um, so that's... I suppose that was a while ago now.
0: Nice. And maybe you could tell us a bit about these newer media are in Singapore now mm. because that's where we almost started we could finish with that and then maybe tell us any other places we can find your work so what's the story with the online presence there
1: well, the, the online space has been very vibrant you have to say, they mm-hmm. haven't actually lasted very long um, now Singapore was one of the first countries in the world to open up its own government website www.sg one of the first government websites anywhere in the world. Very quickly, um, on the online community started to form, and a number of publications had come up. For each of them, the government had come in really hard on them from mm-hmm. very early on, because you know to them it was it's not possible for you to have other thoughts other than those coming from mainstream media which the government has a very very direct hand right in controlling the information. Um, but nevertheless, it's continued to to flourish. Mm-hmm. Um, there are possibly about three sites that are well frequented.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You've got the Online Citizen in Singapore. You've got um, Tamasic Tem- Review, and there are a couple of other sites. There's one called Mothership.sg, which is founded by one of my former students. He's now still the editor in there. Very proud of him. Um, and there's something else called the independent, that's actually four, isn't it? Four, four sites. In order to exist in Singapore you need to register.
0: I would hope for nothing less. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, and that only happened two years ago. right?
0: And this is to write a blog or something? This is to
1: write a blog. That As long as you, you get a I can't remember the number It's This is
0: a confusion household system. Well, <laughs> Confusion fact, virtual fact, household system. In fact, system. I have
1: to say that the government had wrong-footed itself by implementing a licensing system for online media because it had the effect of endorsing their existence. So citizens had no qualms now going online to read the stuff from there, whereas in the past they were very cautious. They had this sense that they were being watched. Watched,
0: but now... This is in some way authenticated absolutely. and legitimate. Absolutely, there's a. It's a bit like uh, Fidel Castro. Everything inside <laughs> revolution, nothing outside. Jacques Derrida. There's no outside. To there's the no outside. Yes, absolutely. That's uh, right. The Revolutionary Institutional Party in Mexico, incorporating Trotskyist
1: poets into its cultural <laughs> policy forms. In, in some ways, yes. You're right. Absolutely. But, so, that, I suppose that some of the contradictions, and that, that would happen throughout the media history of that, any society, I think.
0: Sure, you can censor up to a certain point, but a, in some ways, simpler, maybe less costly form is to incorporate people.
1: That's right. But it's, it's, it's one of the. Look, Singapore has become, it, it presents itself as a, a test pit for ideas, for technology, and it has found itself in that space. Um, so I think look, that there is there is great value for me. I've, I've never thought that you know, after writing that book, which you know has been reflects my thinking through many years, uh, there would be life left for me. I, it looks Looks like there's plenty more to go. Yeah. Um, you know, it's been um, re-energized because you know Singapore has become a test bed even for a range of innovative intellectual ideas to play out.
0: Well, and you've undoubtedly contributed to those. That's wonderful. Well, Terence, one last quick question before we conclude this. Are there any places where people can read your work online where they don't have to pay 3,500 Singapore shillings for the privilege? Online? Because, you know, one of the things that's frustrating for a lot of listeners is that they can't read academics' work because they're not inside one of these institutions.
1: Look, I, ha- I have to apologise and admit that you know, I'm not very good with um, doing things for the public domain. Um, you know.
0: You're just an accumulative Singaporean academic.
1: Yeah, well, maybe I am. It's... it's Part of
0: the governmentalized commodified world of Australian higher
1: education it has got <laughs> you in its grip, Terence! It's got to its grip you know, in the... Break I've, out!
0: Break out, man!
1: I've, I've been reminded that nothing short of A journals would count. <laughs>
0: Well, this is... No, to be serious, though, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm... Uh, you entered Australian academia at a point in history where, as I understand it, yeah. the pressure to meet certain regulatory norms yes. imposed by university bureaucrats, both on campus and off it, is extremely intense.
1: It's extremely intense. It's just got more intense over the years that I've been in, no, yeah. 15 okay. years now. Um, you, you, it's, the cumulative effect is that People have become, have less time to talk about other things other than mm. you know getting ticking the boxes. Mm. Um, it's been run by big mm. I Hate to say it, um, and funnily enough, this should be nothing new to me, right? Coming from a bureaucratic environment, but it's it really is up there with government bureaucracy. Mm. Um, look, I, I'm I'm always happy to to speak to the media. I just I'm, I just do a terrible job at recording who I've spoken to, when I've spoken to them, and so on, right?
0: Um. Which is what the bean counters want, and in a sense it's what I've been asking for. But listen, you've given very generously of your time today, you've told us a lot about some of your, your ideas, and let's hope people can go to a library near them and look at some of the journals you've mentioned, the book you've written, the books you've edited and keep up with your career. Terence, I hope that you'll come back into the pod soon, right. maybe before the PAP is defeated, <laughs> because that may not happen in either of our lifetimes, but when you've got some more things to say about what's going on with Singapore media.
1: I'm pretty sure I will. Terrific. Thank you, Toby. Thank you.
0: That was.